Hello and welcome to another edition of the Emmanuel Science Podcast. Today, hosted by me, Mrs Brown, chemist and history of science enthusiast. Who else do we have with us? Mr Schetzer here, and I always obey gravity. It's the law. I'm Miss Wells, and I'm made up of 30 trillion cells. Today, our theme is interesting scientists. We're going to tell two truths and a lie about a scientist and challenge the others to spot the lie. But to introduce the idea, we'll start with two truths and a lie about ourselves. Shall I start? Go for Mm, it. Yeah. Okay, so two truths and a lie about me. My favourite place in the world is the Outer Hebrides. I can count to 100 in Mandarin. I once nearly got swept away to sea because I misjudged how quickly the tide was coming in. The first thing you're going to have to do is, what's a Hebrides? (laughs) The Outer Hebrides. So think Scotland and then like those outer islands, like Harris and Lewis and that kind of area. The Orkney Islands? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, I don't know if those count as the Outer Hebrides. They might do, but more off the kind of northwest coast. Okay. Well, this is why this is not a geography podcast. (laughs) Ooh, tricky. Hmm. I think the swept out to sea, I think that might be true. So I think that's one of those awful, you know, stories that happen and they stay with you forever. I think that might be true. I'm going to go for that. That's quite far-fetched to make up. What do you think, Mr. Schetzer? I'm, I'm going to go with the counting. Interesting. Uh, so what, what were you going for, Miss Wells? I think Outer Hebrides is true and being swept away is true. I agree with Mr. Schetzer. Count to 100 in Mandarin. Ah, interesting. No, I, okay, so you're both wrong. I can count to 100 in Mandarin. Um, my favourite place in the world isn't the Outer Hebrides. I've just been thinking about holidays during lockdown and I was thinking that would be a good place to go. <laughs> so I went to the Northern Highlands last year and really enjoyed that. Very nice. Right, who wants to go next? Okay, shall I go next? I've stood on the Northern and Southern Hemisphere at the same time. I've met Prince Charles twice and I got through to the first round of MasterChef in 2014. Oh. Wow, those all sound very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go for the MasterChef one. Sounds sounds a bit too far-fetched. Maybe you were on a different show. Or maybe just entered. Or something like that, but MasterChef. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's, it's very possible that you might have stood in the northern and southern hemispheres at the same time. So you meet Prince Charles. Don't, oh, no, that's the Duke of Edinburgh. I was thinking you meet Prince Charles if you do get like gold DV, but the garden party. Yes. Wait, that's such a thing. If you get a gold DV, you can meet Prince Charles. Yeah, you get invited to the um, to Buckingham Palace, I think, for a garden party. Oh my goodness. I don't. I don't think you've met met Prince Charles twice. <laughs> you get the point, Mr. Schetzer, for that. Uh... The lie was that I didn't get through to the first round of MasterChef in 2014. Um, I would love to. But no, that's a lie, I'm afraid. Um, I stood on the equator in Ecuador. That was back in 2013. And I have met Prince Charles twice at a remembrance service. And he shook my hand twice as well. So yeah, those two are true. You met him twice at the same remembrance service. and he At the same event. No, in two, two consecutive years. Oh, okay. I was just picturing you like standing in a line and like running from the front <laughs> to the back so you could shake running his hand twice. <laughs> <laughs> Where did the MasterChef thing come from? Is that like kind of a dream? A dream, yeah. I love to watch it. Um, and no, 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 not to watch it, to be in it. Was that a dream? Yes, I would love to. I think the standard nowadays, though, is so high. I don't know if you watch it. No. Did you make something for the uh, for the, the staff bake-off? I did. I made some chocolate and salted caramel tarts. Miniature ones. Okay. Mm, nice. Yeah, they're quite rich. Very, very chocolatey. Okay, Mr. Schetzer. I was saved from a burning boat. 
when I was younger. Wow. My surname is made up. And my grandmother dated William Shatner. See, I, I could believe your surname is made up because it is yeah. the kind of surname you, you might choose if you're making one up. Mm. It's, a, it's a good name. Ooh, thanks. Did you make it up or did someone else? Well, that depends on if that's the false On whether one. it's true or not. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm going to go with um, that's true. Um, oh, hang on. That means I need a lie. I think the saved from a burning boat is a lie. Boats can burn. They can. I'm, no, I'm, I'm going to go for the burning boat as well. Oh, you're both right. Oh, brilliant. It's actually quite close to that, though. I was saved from a burning building. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. My, uh, according to my parents. I mean, I've asked many years of, uh, oh, it, apparently I was saved from the, what was it, the 11th floor by some uh, some firemen, and I was in the newspaper, but for some reason they don't have copies of this newspaper even though it was a long time ago <laughs> uh, my surname is made up uh, apparently from uh, many generations back from russia actually uh, they arrived in canada and the the immigration officer said so what's your surname and they said apparently i'm probably not pronouncing this correctly shestrinoy and they said no it isn't we can't pronounce that here's what it's going to be from now on all right very interesting and my grandmother on my maternal side actually did date William Shatner. Mm, wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so let's move on to our scientists then. Two truths and a lie about each scientist, and then I think maybe we'll just talk about them a little bit afterwards. Mr. Shetzer, would you like to start? Sure. So I'm going to go with my main man, Sir Isaac Newton. Not just because he... Um, is influential to basically all of physics, almost all of physics, uh, but because he has all sorts of strange tales that go along with him. I'm not going to ask about the uh, apple that fell in Cambridge and might or might not have hit his head. That I've, I've actually looked into that. It's very hard to find evidence that he was actually hit in the head, but it apparently did inspire him. So I've got three things, of course. Two truths and one lie about Sir Isaac Newton. Number one, he invented differential calculus. Number two, after his death, his hair was found to have traces of mercury. And number three, he was a devout Christian. I think it's very plausible that he, would you say invented differential calculus? Yeah. I think that would be very plausible. Yeah. It's, it's also plausible that he was a devout Christian just because most people were at that time. Yeah, we're talking 16th century or 17th century anyway. I'm wondering why he would have mercury in his hair. What kind of experiments would he be doing with what that? What were people doing in boredom back then? <laughs> I'm tempted to go for the mercury one. Okay. Mercury in his hair. I, yeah, I don't know. I think he could have had mercury in his hair. I don't think people necessarily knew how poisonous mercury was at the time. And so it maybe was in more widespread use um, than we would imagine. I reckon that he perhaps wasn't a devout Christian. All right. Um, you're both incorrect. But that's <laughs> wow. okay. We're all at one point now. So the tricky thing is the differential calculus. Apparently, there's this longstanding debate on whether uh, Gottfried Leibniz or Isaac Newton invented differential calculus. I think at the moment, the best consensus we have is they both invented it independent of each other. So it's not... It's kind of a trick that it's not so much that he didn't invent it. It's that it was concurrently being invented uh, across the pond, uh, I believe, in Germany where Leibniz was. 
so that was not the case. Apparently, the hair and the mercury could have contributed to why he was so eccentric and strange later in life that he was, amongst other things, doing alchemical experiments. And the mercury gave him eventual mercury poisoning. Although apparently that's not what killed him. But he did have traces of mercury in his hair. Bad news for anyone that plays with mercury, of course. Mm. And apparently he was a devout Christian, but uh, not exactly uh, orthodox. I think in, in other forms of Christianity, he wouldn't have been considered a, a very serious practicing Christian, but he, he was devout to an extent. Uh, and many, many scientists were at the time, which is, is nice because we, I think nowadays we assume that the two can't coexist, but they can. Yeah, and there are plenty of Christian scientists around these days too. I also chose Newton because apparently when his um, in inventing was happening was during the plague in 1665 and 1666. And so if you were ever going, I have so much time, but I don't really know what to do with it, and there's no point in doing anything um, large scale, uh, Newton took that time, and apparently it was the most productive time of his entire life. He even called it the Year of Wonder, Ennis Mirabilis. So will you be the next Newton? Fantastic. Yeah, little challenge <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> That's it. We got plenty of unsolved mysteries. All right, so one point for everyone. So far, we're all doing pretty badly, but equally badly. <laughs> More time to pick up points. <laughs> I've gone for Carl Linnaeus, who was a Swedish uh, botanist, zoologist, and physician. So, Linnaeus was the first person to define the term species. He used to tell the time using flowers, and he named 12,000 plants and animals. I, I really have no idea how you would tell the time using flowers. Well, don't, don't <laughs> they kind of follow the sun, at least? So, they're like, they're, they're not quite a sundial, but maybe? Oh, I suppose, yeah. I suppose you could have them as a sundial, couldn't you? They could be the spike in the middle of a sundial. Miss Wells never said he t told the time accurately. It might have been, yeah, it's uh, it's afternoon. That is true. That's very true. Yeah, he may have kept <laughs> very different hours to everyone else. I also, I don't like those numerical ones because maybe it's 12,005. Exactly. No, actually, if it's 12,005, then he, then he did do 12,000. So it could have been a smaller number. Yeah. Mm, okay, so I do know he's very famous for classification. Yes, correct. I don't know, like, uh, yeah, telling the time with flowers does sound like a nice eccentric thing for a famous scientist mm. to do. I think maybe he, so I know he was famous for classification, so maybe he didn't come up with the, or didn't define the word species. Someone had maybe done that before? I don't know. I'm going to go with that, I think, as the lie. The species. Yeah. I'm actually going to have to agree. I... I... I think it was the the answer that comes to mind would be Darwin, but that might be too. Yeah, I'm just going to go with that. Darwin was the species term inventor. Okay. Um, yeah, you're both right. One point. Correct. He didn't first define species. It was actually a man called John Ray who did the first sort of definition of species that we know. And then Darwin was hugely influential in developing that. But yeah, John Ray was the first person to use the term species and define it. And again, he, yeah, he did 
kind of tell the time using flowers. It wasn't particularly accurate. But what he noticed was that different plants would flower at different times of the day. So, for example, he noticed mm. that a plant called goat's beard would flower at 3 a.m. And hawkweed would flower at 6 a.m. A plant called ice plant would flower at 10 a.m. And he found out all these different plants, the different hours that they would flower. And the idea was that he would make this flower garden, which was a bit of a clock, and he could tell from when they flowered the time that it was. But there's a lot of debate out there as to whether he actually managed to do that successfully. Um, and I think probably... Did they already have clocks at that point? Like normal clocks? Good question. I think they did. Um, when was the first clock? Seems like an elaborate way of telling the time if there's alternatives available. It does, doesn't it? Well, can you imagine being like, yeah. okay, uh, you have to get up, it's milkweed o'clock. Some botanical gardens have actually tried to recreate this flower clock, um, but again, with mixed success there. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's correct. He did try to tell the time using flowers, and he did name 12,000 plants and animals. And you're right, Mrs. Brown, he was sort of one of the founding scientists who came up with this um, idea of classification, and he used something called binomial naming system which is where we get the two-part names for species so for example humans being homo and sapiens he was really the founding father of that so yes one point each well done and we still use quite a few linnaeus ideas don't we like it's not yeah it's not that darwin's ideas replaced his and now we don't use it anymore Similar to what you were saying, Mr. Schetzer, lots of scientists at the time were developing these similar ideas of classification. Do you think, Miss Wells, that we've discovered, uh, do you think we've discovered the majority of species on Earth or the minority? The minority, I would have to say. I think there's so much more out there that is left to be discovered and hopefully we can still discover it and it won't be you know, destroyed by deforestation before we can go out and discover it in the wild. But yeah, I think we've barely scratched the surface. Or some other sort of deadly virus that we find lurking underneath the surface. That's actually been, like, not that specifically, but the idea of classifying species must be so tedious that you yeah. go, oh, oh, look at this. Oh, this is super interesting. Hey, has anyone else discovered this before? Mm. And then you have to pose it to everyone. And I can't imagine how yeah. long it must take. Very long-winded. To figure out that something is new and never been catalogued or yeah. discovered yeah. before. And at the moment, there's so much cataloging going on in terms of sort of herbariums around the world that have got these samples. And then they're putting them onto a database so that we can, you know, see if something has been discovered before. And that takes a really long time. If you wanted a species named after you, what, what would it be? Like, would you want a bat or a, well, maybe not a bat in this climate, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you want to be like a plant or a, uh, an insect? Or I'd definitely be a plant, a tree, I'd say. And it would ha probably have my last name in it somewhere. All right. <laughs> I think I'd go for a bird. Would you? What would it be called? Micah I, I don't know the, the, wait you're talking about the lat the latin names the common name let's say oh okay all right well then the shetzian condor <laughs> that's that's all right. i can come up with how about you mrs brown <laughs> a sea creature to be named after me i don't maybe like a nice colorful interesting yeah i don't know i don't know many types of sea creature <laughs> would you be a shark uh, maybe a non-man-eating shark. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> would you Would you be a baby shark? Do 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that that's the kind of song that gets stuck in your head. Actually, now. is now now that you're kind of stuck home with your children, are you are you getting are you becoming more familiar with the children's songs and their lyrics? Yeah, so my daughter is learning the piano and um, several of these really annoying songs are part of... So she's learning it on, on the tablet. There's like some program that plays like a backing track. Okay. So oh, yeah. Baby Shark is one that has oh, come no. up lots. So uh, let's divert this plane back to its original course. Yeah, I think we should move on to the uh, last scientist. We digress. <laughs> So my scientist isn't a hero. I think definitely your two were heroes. I chose mine because I think he's interesting and also because the consequences of his work kind of are early memories that I have from my childhood. So probably the first kind of couple of scientific things that were big in the news. He is Thomas Midgley. Here are my three. Firstly, he was described by one historian as having more impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. Second one. He invented leaded petrol and CFCs that are famous for causing global warming. And final one, he accidentally died when he got tangled up in a complicated pulley system that he had invented to lift himself out of bed. That sounds amazing. Well, except for the death part, if it was true. Hmm. Now, admittedly, I don't know who this person is, so uh, my guess will be a guess. No, me, me neither. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not a big name, but I think he raises some interesting points about science. Could you give us a bit of background of him that we know is true so that we can kind of gauge anything about him? Well, yeah, so he, he worked for General Motors. Uh, he was a U.S. chemical engineer, and most of his work was in the 1920s. Does that uh, help? No, <laughs> but I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with the pulley because if you are, if you're working with chemicals, I would assume that maybe his knowledge of pulleys was not that great. Although that might have contributed to his death. That maybe might have killed him. (laughs) I'm still going to go with that. Okay. Miss Wells, what do you think? The second one is likely to be true now that you've told us, you know, he was involved in uh, General Motors and chemical engineering. So I think the second one is true. More impact on the atmosphere or the pulley system. Hmm. I think the pulley system is going to be true. It's, it's terrible, terrible. Um, again, very far-fetched to make up. Maybe Perhaps that was a different scientist. I'm going to say the first one, the quote about him having the most impact on the atmosphere oh, isn't true. Interesting. Uh, you've, you've both got it wrong. Sorry. Oh, it was the middle one. Yeah. He, he got polio and uh, when he was older and he did make a complicated pulley system and unluckily he died in it. I think he was strangled. Yeah, he's been described by some as, as the unluckiest scientist in history. He did come up with a compound tetraethyl lead that was added to petrol to make it burn more efficiently and ignite more efficiently. And it, and it became really widely used. It was very controversial during even his lifetime. And I think he was a bit disingenuous about it because he obviously had a bit of an agenda. He wanted to discover this thing and he wanted to get paid lots for it, I think. But in several of the factories that were producing it, people were getting lead poisoning. And he even had some symptoms of lead poisoning and uh, had to take some time off. But yet, even despite that, he turned up at a press conference to say how safe this tetraethyl lead compound was. And he poured it all over his hands and he inhaled the vapours from it for a whole minute just to prove that it was safe. Have you have you ever wondered why at petrol stations it's called unleaded petrol? Why is it not just petrol? I have. It's mm. been a long time since petrol has been sold with lead in it, but I think it's it's part of this 
environmental reform of going, see, look, there's no lead in this and it is much safer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is another thing that I remember, leaded petrol being totally phased out at petrol stations. Yeah, I think unleaded petrol came in slowly a long while before. But I think I remember when they got rid of the leaded petrol apparently was uh, associated with neurological issues and even increased crime rates in polluted areas in cities. Mm. Very interesting. This is Thomas Midgley's impact on the environment again that lasted long after he died. I don't know how much you know about CFCs. Those are the ozone-destroying ones. Are they in fridges and aerosols? Yeah, exactly right. So what they were using at the time were very flammable, reactive substances as refrigerants, and they needed to find a solution. And so Thomas Midgley, along with some others, he wasn't solely responsible for all of this, came up with these CFCs, which replaced, if you know about alkanes, for example, so carbon and hydrogen compounds with single bonds only, they replaced hydrogens with chlorine atoms and fluorine atoms. And they were very unreactive and not flammable and non-toxic. And so they seemed to solve the problem. And so they put them in all of these refrigerants and they rolled them out. And then in... I think in the 80s or 70s, they they realised that there was this hole in the ozone layer because UV light from the sun breaks the CCL bond in CFCs. So because it's so stable and unreactive, CFCs actually have a really long lifetime in the atmosphere. But once that CCL bond breaks, it forms this really reactive radical, it's called, and that reacts with ozone to break it down. And ozone plays a crucial role in our atmosphere of basically filtering out some of the UV light. And so a hole in the ozone layer in the southern hemisphere was causing a massive problem because increase in skin cancer and that kind of stuff. And that's what led to in Australia and New Zealand. They did this big thing about you've got to slip on a shirt, slop on some sun cream, slap on a hat. So like all of the kind of awareness of skin cancer and sunlight kind of came in around that time. But the the lie is that they're famous for causing global warming. So I don't know whether in your classes, this happens often in my lessons because we talk about the greenhouse effect and global warming. And um, students quite often get global warming and climate change confused with the hole in the ozone layer. CFCs are greenhouse gases, but they more importantly cause this hole in the ozone layer. So that's that's the bigger effect that they cause. So in 1987, I think the Montreal Protocol came in where they basically phased out CFCs being used as aerosols and propellants and refrigerants. Do you know what they now use instead of CFCs? Yeah, so they they started using HCFCs, which just cause less ozone depletion, where um, there's a hydrogen and so few CCL bonds. And then they've been phased out even further to have HFCs, which are hydrogen, fluorine and carbon. So there's no CCL bond to break. So, that was Thomas Midgley, who probably had more impact on the atmosphere than any other single organism in Earth's history. I think Midgley raises some interesting questions about science. What do you guys think? Do you think there are some dangers in science? And maybe how we use science? Uh, I think at the moment, science is our best friend. What else can we possibly rely on? in this situation for coronavirus. Uh, but if, if, you could, if I could remove myself from now and go back to like the pre-COVID era when the worst problem that I had was like, which restaurant do I order from on Friday evening? 
it's it's certainly i don't think science has this good or evil side to it i think it's the humans themselves that are responsible for kind of what we use our scientific knowledge for oh this thing could be dangerous should we keep it around well if it was up to nature it would be as it always was but instead we've got to you know there's economic ramifications and political ones and i don't, I don't really have necessarily an answer to it but yeah i don't think science itself is dangerous it's more the the people involved yeah i totally agree i i think the midgley could have stopped the leaded petrol and should have stopped the leaded petrol i think he knew that lead was dangerous at least where it was where the tetraethyl lead was being made and really it should have stopped at that point but he had an agenda to make money so i guess there's a question of bias and we need to look and make sure that scientific studies are i, I guess it's the importance of peer review and that kind of stuff as well that other scientists look at scientific studies and weigh them up and and kind of make sure they're not biased they don't start with an agenda um i think there's also an, an interesting question about funding for science so um i think sometimes because funding is often for studies to solve problems so so midgley's teams presumably were paid to solve the problem of inefficient fuel and knocking in engines and then later to solve the problem of these kind of toxic and explosive refrigerants. And he did that, and he did that well. He solved the problem. But then he wasn't particularly paid to look at what the kind of really long-term consequences were. Whereas I suppose if you if you fund pure science for the sake of knowledge, there's no kind of prior agenda, and you maybe you can look at the bigger issues as well. I think I think it, it makes it worthwhile funding kind of science just for the sake of science, hmm. do you think? I agree, yeah, for our knowledge and to sort of further, further what we know, definitely agree with you on that. I don't think we should end without saying something about gender inequality in science. I think it's noticeable that all three of us talked about male scientists. Mm. I think we're doing pretty well at Emmanuel with it, though. How is your um, your gender split in your A-level subjects? Do you know? Mm. We're fairly even in biology and chemistry. Mm. And we have a good number of female science teachers. Oh, yeah, true. And I think recently there's more female role models, even on TV narrating documentaries and presenting documentaries so i think that's a really positive thing mm. that i imagine will keep happening well one of the first things i do in hill form is like the 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 drawing I've, i'm pretty sure people do this in other sciences as well maybe even in year seven where i just here's a piece of paper draw what a scientist is to you <laughs> and the majority of them will draw the the goggles and the wacky hair and the lab mm. coat and the, the equipment or whatever yeah but I'm, I, I do that actually because I want to see what kinds of stereotypes are around. And it is quite frequent that girls draw men doing science, even though they don't have to. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, we've got some great, like in the science department, some great posters of famous women, or not so famous, they should be more famous than they are, like women scientists who've achieved highly. And in Science Week, we did... 
Um, one of the daily competitions was about female scientists. So I think we're trying to do our best with it, but I think you're absolutely right. Those stereotypes continue on. Science might have a stereotype as well in that it's biology, chemistry, physics, and that's it. But there's so many subcategories yeah. so and many different overlaps, areas that yeah. you can study in each science, which I think sometimes isn't perhaps very well documented. So you might like a tiny bit of some really specific part of chemistry and perhaps it's not known that you can devote a career just to looking at that part of chemistry or that part of physics. I have to ask, what was your favorite, what was, <laughs> what was your least favorite science when you were studying GCSEs? Yeah, mine was physics, I would say. It was physics, And I absolutely okay. loved chemistry. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. And it was only till A-level that I thought biology kind of pipped chemistry. But at GCSE, yeah, absolutely loved the logical way that I thought chemistry yeah, worked. Yeah, chemistry's really logical. You don't find <laughs> physics logical? You I find loved it so physics. Too nonsensical? It, yeah, the forces just didn't click with me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really loved physics and chemistry and maths because I, I loved kind of the the logical thinking of them all. They all just totally made sense. I, you I left thought. out biology. Sorry, Miss Wells. Yeah, so, so biology was very definitely my least favourite. Um, I, I found kind of human biology mm. interesting and... But I think, yeah, plants didn't really excite me very much. I'm really sorry, oh Miss no, Wells. That makes me I always sad. felt like there was so much. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. I think it's partly like the big picture thing with biology. A lot of it is big picture, and you kind yeah. of want to understand it at more at a more fundamental level. So I think I was always frustrated with like the fact that you'd represent proteins with like I don't know massive blobs or whatever, whereas. I, I wanted to know how they were structured mm. in much more detail, but that's not really what biology is, is it? I suppose that's no. kind of biochemistry. <laughs> Most people I ask tend to say physics, especially <laughs> after I tell them I'm a physics teacher. What? What's wrong with you? Yeah, so that's interesting because mostly when I talk to people, they say they hate chemistry. Mm. Or not, I mean, not my classes, obviously. <laughs> no, but when you have general conversations with people and they ask what you do, they invariably say, oh, I, I always hated chemistry or I never understood chemistry. I hope that our students don't look at it in the same way because chemistry, well, all the sciences are, are great and there's so, so many skills and so much to kind of excite you about them. Just the way they relate to everyday life and the, the logical thinking of them, I think, is just really satisfying in a way that, I don't know, other subjects cover different things and are interesting in their own ways. But I just think science is very all-encompassing. I like that it kind of so much. infiltrates your thoughts and makes... <laughs> You can sometimes turn it off, but not always, where whatever you're looking at, it's kind of, hmm, it's, it's a collection of atoms, and it's moving them yeah. this way, and I wonder if uh, that's just kind of where my brain goes. Yeah. I like looking at, at the world as kind of Allows a you to collection be of atoms uh, that are have some sort of degree of predictability, but who uh, knows? I think like scientific method is actually used maybe not formally, but basically used in people's thinking in, in most subjects, isn't it? Like when you write an essay and you put together arguments and analyse kind of sources and that kind of stuff, actually you're using Finding the scientific evidence. method, aren't you, by weighing up things. And yeah, I think scientific thinking is actually at the heart of really everything that we do. Like as you plan strategies and, and kind of ways to, I don't know, even in education, a lot of it is about what do we observe helps students and, and we're using scientific methods even if we don't realize it and thinking through how we teach and that kind of stuff. When we talk about everything being, you know, objective truths, there is also the, the human filtration system that is our brain that takes in some stuff and leaves things out and shortcuts things 
and just tries to get to the most efficient way of understanding the world, and that often leaves out uh, essential pieces because our brain can't detect them or they're repeating signals, and so we get rid of them. Super fascinating. Yeah, that really ties in, I think, with the kind of stuff we talked about, like weighing up the negatives and the positives of different theories, like the the kind of choosing to use leaded petrol and CFCs, like even if they'd known some of the negative effects, they might might still have gone for them. Mm. It's, it's the same idea, isn't it? It's the psychology of what do we think is important and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I sometimes think I'd quite like to try some different A-levels, do some psychology and others. I think we should end with uh, Mr. Shetzer's challenge from Isaac Newton that how, how are we going to use this lockdown time? Can we use it to find out something totally new or something that's going to be influential? Do let us know if you um, have any questions or want to contribute. We would really love to hear from you. Take care. Stay safe. Stay sane. Bye. Bye.